Welcome to the Key Wealth Matters weekly podcast, where we casually ramble on about important topics, including the markets, the economy, human ingenuity, and almost anything under the sun, giving you the keys to unlock the mysteries of the markets and investing. Today is Friday, September 29th, 2023. I'm Brian Peterangelo, and welcome to the podcast. In case you didn't know, tomorrow is International Podcast Day, celebrating the medium and positive influence for listeners all around the globe. And we are pleased to be able to bring our subscribers valuable content each week, so thanks for tuning in. And with me today, I would like to introduce our panel of investing experts here to share their insights on this week's market activity and more. George Mateo, Chief Investment Officer, Rajiv Sharma, Head of Fixed Income, and Connor Cloting, Senior Lead Equity Analyst. And as a reminder, a lot of great content is available on key.com slash wealth insights, including updates from our Wealth Institute on many different subjects, and especially our Key Questions article series, addressing a relevant topic for investors each Wednesday. In addition, if you have any questions or need more information, please reach out to your financial advisor. Taking a look at this week's economic and market news, let's start with the potential for a government shutdown here on Saturday night as we end the month of September, which is the fiscal year end for the government spending appropriations process. And so if there's nothing done, we could spill into that shutdown. But right now here on Friday, the House Republicans are trying to get a temporary spending bill in place for the next 30 days to avoid that shutdown. But again, if that can't be done and we can't get all 12 reconciled in terms of appropriation bills, we might spill into that government shutdown on Sunday morning. So we'll take a look at that because it does affect the overall economy and the United States in terms of various complications. On the economic front, earlier in the week, we saw house prices for the month of July increased modestly at 1%, and we saw overall initial unemployment claims that were released yesterday basically stayed constant at 204,000 in terms of a modest increase overall, staying very low in terms of job resiliency for the markets. And also released yesterday was the final report for the second quarter measure of GDP or gross domestic product, and it came in at 2.1% for the quarter on an annualized basis, which was the same as the previous second estimate. So no change there. Good news, it's a little bit stronger than expected, but again, we'll see where we head into the third quarter. And finally, probably the most important report for the week was this morning's read on consumer spending and overall inflation as measured by the Personal Consumptions Expenditures Index of Inflation, otherwise known as PCE, and specifically core PCE, which excludes food and energy, which is the Fed's preferred measure when they decide on policy. The good news is that inflation on a year-over-year basis in the month of August continued to recede from 4.3% in July down to 3.9% in August. So again, the policy of interest rate increases is continuing to work, but we're nowhere near where we need to be from a 2% target perspective. So we'll continue to see how this number plays out in terms of inflation and Fed policy for November and December's meeting. So, taking all of those factors into consideration, let's get the opinion from George in terms of what he sees and how it might affect the overall economy. George, what are your thoughts? Well, Brian, I think it was kind of a mixed week overall, but but generally the market seems to be kind of taking cues on other things, which we'll probably get into a little bit later on the on the podcast here. But I think if you want to just kind of go through some of the things that were released, you know, overall I think it was kind of a mixed bag. You know, again, the housing sector continues to struggle a little bit and kind of process uh, some of the higher rates that are that are ripping through the, the sector right now. 
actually, you know, one thing that we probably don't pay a lot of attention to is something called durable goods. You know, these are big, big ticket items and they actually were slightly better expected. So again, I think you wouldn't be buying, you know, a big airplane or, or a big refrigerator or something like that if you thought you were uh, entering a, a contraction or a downturn. So to see durable goods actually uh, come in better than expected, that's not too bad. And I think uh, also on the jobless claim side, which again is kind of our early warning signal with respect to labor market, you know, those were also lower than expected too, which suggests that the labor market is still really healthy. And as we've said before, you know, one person's income is another person's uh, spending. And as long as the consumer spending, the economy is doing quite well. We got more evidence of that this morning. Uh, so we also talked about uh, consumer spending that was out um, for the month of August was was pretty much in line with expected. It was a little bit slower than the prior month, which is probably a good thing from the Fed perspective because the prior month of spending was really quite strong uh, as probably people spent uh, a little bit more on, on vacations and concert tickets and so forth. And so we've seen some moderation there, but not a collapse. And then the all important PCE report or personal consumption expenditures, which is kind of a mouthful, but frankly, the, uh, it's the Fed's preferred measure of inflation uh, and it actually slowed a little bit as well, which is which which is good news. I think it came in at uh, 3.9% on a year-over-year basis, which uh, actually is the first time we've actually been below 4% uh, since I think it was probably mid-2021. So it's been over two years since we've seen a reading below 4%. Uh, but that said, we're still a long way from the Fed's target of 2%. So we made a lot of progress, but the progress is going to probably be a bit slower from here. I mean, I think the bigger story, irrespective of the economic data points, um, that were released this week is the fact that the markets are really kind of taking its cues from other things, it seems like. And particularly the, the credit markets and more specifically the, the bond market um, more broadly, I guess, is uh, is kind of kind of pegging off other signals, it seems to me. So, Rajiv, we've seen a really big um, jump uh, in yields in the past few weeks or so, the past few days even. And I'm kind of curious to get your thoughts. Is that really kind of because of inflation? Is the bond market now concerned about um, government debt? You know, frankly, the government debt situation has been kind of front and center for a long time. We've kind of ignored it, but now maybe we're kind of recognizing that we've got a lot of we've got a lot of bills to pay. So, what do you kind of make of the the recent uh, backup in yields that's really kind of caught the uh, the market by surprise? I think. I mean, it's a great question, George, and I, I really feel that uh, a lot of uh, this backup in yields and these higher yields that we're seeing the surge in the yield curve. You know, we can attribute some of that to the FOMC meeting and some of that to uh, higher for longer, which is the Fed's narrative. But I think underlying, there's a lot more involved here. I think that the uh, the market participants right now really feel that, you know, there's not going to be a lot of leeway, especially in the front end. And also we've seen the 10-year also move higher. So we've had an inverted yield curve for a very long time. Um, People are wondering when will it uninvert? And we've seen the surge in the 10-year and the 30-year kind of make the yield curve a little less inverted than we've seen in a, in, in a while right now. And so I really feel like there's a, a question about the economy. There's a question about whether we're going to have that soft landing or not. We know the Fed narrative right now. Uh, they're going to continue to push for that inflation uh, target to be 2%. Uh, the PCE number that you mentioned, I think that that is going in the right direction, but it's not really uh, getting the Fed to where they want to get. Um, I was at a uh, a lunch recently, and uh, at this lunch, we had a lot of market participants talking about where they think the 10-year is going to go. Uh, this, this move that we've seen this week and last week, 
there's some market participants that think that the 10-year can go even higher. That is the pain trade. We've talked about duration uh, in the past where it makes a lot of sense to stay short right now because there's more yields in the front end of the curve. The pain trade really is adding duration. And uh, there are some people at the, uh, the uh, lunch that I was in, a roundtable lunch, that talked about maybe the 10-year goes above 5%. Maybe it goes towards the Fed's uh, the Fed funds rate, and that would be very painful. Um, there were a couple of resistance points on the tenure that we've seen. Four and a half percent was one of the resistance points. We went right through that. The next resistance point is four point seven three, which was the high of the tenure. It also seems we can get close to that as well. Do we go beyond that? I think that's going to have some ramifications in the market. There will be risk asset sectors that may start thinking that it makes more sense to go into bonds out of stocks. So that would not be good for the stock market. I know Connor's going to speak about that in a little bit. But there's also the, the question of, um, you know, where are the market participants? We have auctions that came. We did see the auctions do really well this, this week. We also have uh, issuers that are coming to market. And they're going to start thinking about, are these rates too high to come to market and raise debt? So it could have implications on the credit markets as well. And we've seen credit markets uh, really be well-behaved during all the last uh, year and a half. Do they stay well-behaved? It would be very interesting to see if, uh, if there is going to be some kind of rotation out of uh, corporate credit based on the, on the, um, the move that we saw in uh, yields. Now, the aggregate index is uh, really coming under a lot of pressure right now. We're having returns that are being negative for the month, last month as well. If we end the year with a negative return on the aggregate uh, bond index, which is the biggest proxy for the bond market, if the aggregate index has another negative year, that would be three years in a row that we've had a, a negative returns on the ag. And that is very uh, unsettling to a lot of market participants right now. So I guess the question I, I keep asking myself, Raji, when I think about the backup in yields or the surge in yields that you talked about, is is not so much what or maybe where they might go, or because nobody really knows, honestly. I mean, you've got a better view than I do, I'm sure. But the reason I, or the question I'm asking myself is why? Why would why would rates go up, as you said, to the Fed funds rate? I mean, that would be that'd be a jump of about 100 basis points from here, a full percentage point. And your point about um, duration and people who could be exposed to fixed income. You know, I think you you would see the benefit in your portfolio from higher yields at some point, but your price on those bonds would probably drop a bit if you, we saw that big jump in in, in rates. So, what, what do you think would would cause that to happen? What why why would they go up that much? Do you think? Is it because um, inflation's you know it's yeah. still kind of high, but it's coming down a little bit. So it's not inflation that seems to be the cause. But is there something else that we think we should be worried about? Yeah, there are, there are a couple of factors, George. I think that um, you know it's not just about the the Fed saying higher for longer. I think there's other factors as well. You have uh, the U.S. sovereign debt, um, the downgrade of the U.S. sovereign debt. I think that makes a big impact. You have uh, Japan exiting the yield uh, control. You have uh, uh, Fed QT, uh, which is also very important. And you have the U.S. budget deficit, which I think is also very important. So all these factors are are kind of playing their role in this and the large, uh, there's also a large stockpile of T-bills and treasury 
that are increasing their auction sizes. So I think that's also keeping a lot of pressure. If you start seeing uh, um, auctions that are going to be the intermediate and long-term market uh, or longer duration, I think that also plays a big factor. So at the same time, Connor, you know, we've seen backup in yields, the market's down a couple of percentage points, but nothing too concerned about. But the stock market seems to be churning around here at this level. What, what's your assessment of how this re, uh, this this backup in yields, the surge in yields, again, that Rajiv talked about, is impacting stock prices? Yeah, sure. So I think the, you know, the most basic, you know, assumption that we have is yields up stocks down which that correlation has been blown out the window in the last couple of years with what's happened in the market but uh more recently that it seems to be holding true once again so um you know yields move up stocks move down as 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 that occurs but in this last week we saw a little bit of bounce um we think it's due to maybe some technical factors uh the relative strength uh seem to just tick into undersold territory and stocks bounced off that and also bounced off the 150 day moving average. So near term, we got a little technical breather. Um, longer term, if you know, what what we're seeing in rates holds, um, it, it'll be tough for, for equities to continue to rise in a higher for longer environment. Um, but I, I think maybe another, if we want to dig in a little deeper in, in equities and, and split out between small and large cap, um, I think there's some in, interesting dynamics at play there. Um, so right now, it's, it's uh, the S&P 500 versus the S&P 600 value, forward valuation wise is um, it's S&P 500 is trading around 18 times and the S&P 600 small cap index is trading at around 12 times. That's the largest spread going back since the small cap index has been around since around uh, we have dated at 2005. And historically, the, the long-term average there is actually the S&P 600 is traded at a premium because the general theory was small cap companies can grow faster, um, which we have seen is not the case with uh, what's happened with this, you know, now we're calling the Magnificent Seven this year. So, um, you know, what, what can change there, I think, is the question. Can small caps start to outperform again, or are they just, you know, thrown out with the bathwater? And, um, you know, if you're not a mega cap, then it's not worth owning. Uh, that, that remains to be seen. I think with small caps at, they're roughly 4% of the overall market capitalization at this point. Small, you know, one of the smallest, um, portions of the market going back. And um, and I think that, you know, <laughs> you would think mean reversion, okay, maybe that can't hold for forever, but you know, it's that's been kind of the the call for the last few years and it hasn't hasn't been the case. So um, you know, we'll we'll be looking for uh, signs coming up uh, in this next earnings season to see if um, one small caps can you know, start to get a leg up as, you know, earnings revisions have been a little better there. And two, what what are companies going to start talking about for, for 2024? I think that you know, while, you know, the near-term earnings are important, I think uh, third quarter, this is around the time that companies start giving generally more qualitative guidance and analysts start probing into what, what do you see for next year? 
And, and now we'll start to get a little more of a solid base on 2024 earnings. Because right now, uh, growth is for the S&P 500 is expected to be 13%, which uh, in my opinion, seems, seems like a pretty high number and higher for longer environment. And, you know, with reflationary, um, recessionary fears, you know, continue to get pushed off, but still they're, they're there nonetheless. So that's kind of what we're looking for. Hey, Connor, we usually don't talk about individual securities and nor is this a buy or sell recommendations, but there was some interesting news on Amazon this week in terms of antitrust. What are your thoughts in terms of that? As you mentioned, the Magnificent Seven and other concepts within the tech sector. Sure. So I think this this antitrust suit was uh, you know a long time coming, coming given the FTC chair, Lena Khan, wrote her, um, you know, kind of her claim to fame is her study or her article she wrote when she was a law student at Yale. And and basically the argument there is that Amazon is using its market dominance to, uh, you know, raise prices for its sellers and ultimately harm the consumer. But I think you have to look at it on the other side that if Amazon, you know, didn't exist, they've been pushing and pushing, um, you know, other competition to continually lower prices. And you could argue that they benefited consumers over time. But I think a big picture, what, what does this mean for, you know, other mega cap tech in, in general? Um, you know, the FTC at its, in its current um, regime will continue to try to uh, find ways to reduce market dominance of these large cap companies. Uh, so far, has not been very successful given the, the Microsoft um, Activision deal continue, went through. Uh, there's uh, a meta uh, tried to acquire a virtual reality company that they tried to block that went through. So, you know, track record not great so far. And I think it'll be a little bit of a, they'll have a hard time, you know, arguing that consumers are harmed by Amazon, but remains to be seen. Great. Thanks, Connor. And George, let's uh, go with you. Or any final thoughts you have for our listeners today? Sure, Brian, thanks. I think uh, in listening to Connor and Rajiv, there's a couple of things I'd probably emphasize, one of which it sounds like uh, based on Connor's reading, and I would agree with this, that earnings estimates are probably a bit too high. Uh, and also what Rajiv's saying that maybe interest rates are also getting to the point of being too high. And then thirdly, we've got oil prices and energy prices that are getting to be a bit too high. So we've got these things that are probably staring us in the face that we need to acknowledge that they're going to start probably weighing on some sentiment in the near term, I would think. You know, I think, as Connor rightly said, um, the recession risk really hasn't gone away. And just because we haven't had one doesn't mean we won't have one. And I'm not in the camp right now that, that this is uh, a looming uh, situation at our doorstep. But I think we have to be mindful that things probably will start slowing down as we head to the back half of this year and into next year, potentially, in the sense that the, the momentum that we've seen this year in the form of higher consumer spending, in the form of, frankly, higher fiscal spending, too, from the government, has been really similar to the overall market in general, and particularly the Magnificent Seven that Connor alluded to as well. So I think against this backdrop, it's really important just to kind of stay balanced towards risk, uh, really kind of emphasize qualities we talked about, uh, and be selective when you put your capital to work. Well, thanks for the conversation today, George, Rajiv, and Connor. We appreciate your perspectives. And thanks to our listeners for joining us today. Be sure to subscribe to the Key Wealth Matters podcast through your favorite podcast app. And as always, past performance is no guarantee of future results, and we know your financial situation is personal to you. So reach out to your relationship manager, portfolio strategist, or financial advisor for more information, and we'll catch up with you next week. 
to see how the world and the markets have changed and provide those keys to help you achieve your financial success. The Key Wealth Matters podcast is produced by the Key Wealth Institute. The Key Wealth Institute is comprised of financial professionals representing key entities, including key private bank, key bank institutional advisors, key private client, and key investment services. Any opinions, projections, or recommendations contained herein are subject to change without notice and are not intended as individual investment advice. This material is presented for informational purposes only and should not be construed as individual tax or financial advice. Bank and trust products are provided by Key Bank National Association, a member of FDIC and Equal Housing Lender. Key Private Bank and Key Bank Institutional Advisors are part of Key Bank. Investment products, brokerage, and investment advisory services are offered through Key Investment Services, LLC, or KISS, a member of FINRA, SIPC, and SEC Registered Investment Advisor. Insurance products are offered through Key Corp Insurance Agency, USA Incorporated, or KIA. KISS and KIA are affiliated with Key Bank. Investments and insurance products are not FDIC insured, not being guaranteed, may lose value, not a deposit, not insured by any federal or state government agency. eBank and its affiliates do not provide tax or legal advice. Individuals should consult their personal tax advisor before making any tax-related investment decisions. This content is copyrighted by KeyCorp 2023.